revelation going on in my soul. Thank you, Kebmo. From Chicago, where we do stand up and are strong, we welcome you to another edition of Live from the Heartland. This is number 61 of what we've been calling Heartland at Home because we do these shows on Zoom from our homes, waiting to get back in the studio. Today, we have a couple of really wonderful guests, some friends, Bill Knight from Central Illinois and Fred Klonsky from Logan Square. Uh, so let's get started. Stay tuned for the next hour. We'll have a good time. You'll learn a lot. Good morning to you, Katie. Hi, Michael. Hey, look, you were just out of town. You want to tell us something good going on in your life? Well, that was the good. Uh, I went to the UP for the weekend, visited some good girlfriends up there with some other friends from Chicago. We drove up. Um, it's always great to get out of town. It's great to get that far out of town for the incredible air, sleeping in the country air. I, I love it. There's nothing like it. I also appreciate uh, not watching TV for four days. I didn't hear a siren or a gunshot for all that time. Got to go out on a boat in Lake Superior, visit an art fair, farmer's market. And yeah, and on the way back, I uh, picked up a book. I'll tell you about that next time in, uh, in Peshtigo. What about you? What good things happened for you in the last week or so? Well, I hope it's a good thing. In between the recording of the show and its airing and streaming on Saturday morning, I will have had shoulder surgery, my rotator cuff in my right shoulder. I think it's called Tommy John surgery. So I will be sitting around my house a lot and for five hours a day, wrapping it with some ice water running through this contraption. So as, uh, as we go forward for the next few days, I'll be chilling. <laughs> literally, literally, literally. You wanted to uh, include, and when we talk about good things, you wanted to uh, start making sure we mentioned some reading that we've done. Did you have something in mind specifically, Michael? Well, I know you do, but I'll go first. And uh, I just finished a book uh, called A Golden Era, A Tale of Two Runners by our friend, the track coach, Jim Canadel. And it's, uh, it really sucked me in. I really enjoyed it. And he's got another one coming out in the fall. He will be a guest on our show in the next couple of weeks. So I won't share any more about the book. Just know that Jim Canadel has a new book out and you can actually read a couple chapters if you look up Jim Canadel uh, running book. And uh, I did read an article by our friend Don Rose where he raises the question of institutional racism in Chicago and casts a lot of blame on the first Mayor Daley. Daley really perfected institutional racism and it was his, uh, his moves are manifested in housing, in schools, the police and our fire departments. Um, it is time to start talking about institutional racism in our city, because we have a lot of it. True that. Uh, I mentioned that I, I picked up a book in uh, Peshtigo uh, up there in Wisconsin. A lot of people don't know that there was a fire that was bigger and more destructive and, and took more lives by a long shot on the exact same day of the Chicago fire, October 8th, uh, 1871. Um, reading that book this week was was a little too close to home given the heat that we are experiencing thanks to climate change and given the 80 some fires going on in the West. It was, it was too close to home, but it was also instructional in so many ways. 
Um, I was really glad to finally get the details because I've known about that fire a long time and I finally got a book to uh, fill me in on the details. So that's just a personal thing. But the environmental aspect of, the, of what's going on right now, fires, floods all over the world, typhoons, excessive heat. Um, we're experiencing some haze from the Canadian fires right now in Chicago and in the Midwest. Um, climate chaos ensues more than we've ever seen it. And we're wondering if the Biden administration is doing enough to sound the alarm. Um, amongst, along with that, we, we heard from the indigenous leader, Winona, Winona LaDuc, who's familiar from, to us for many, many years. She was among the 600 arrested this past weeks in Minnesota while they were protesting the Enbridge Line 3 tar sands pipeline. Um, she was held for three nights in the county jail in Minnesota. Uh, water protectors should really have a bigger bullhorn right now because um, <laughs> what's more important than water? <laughs> and in the face of drought conditions, I, I don't get it. I don't get why more people are not um, really raising the alarm. Support for this action and other actions related to shutting down pipelines, particularly those of Enbridge, um, who doesn't seem to have a consciousness about water, um, will happen tomorrow, Sunday, August 1st, in the Paseo Community Garden in Pilsen. That's 944 West 21st Street. Um, check it out or go show up and let them know that you support them. Let's be water protectors here. On the vaccine front, uh, as most of you who listen or watch this show know, uh, getting the vaccine for some people in this country remains a big issue. And it's a big issue for all of us because all those who don't get the vaccine really uh, endanger the rest of us. Uh, I would like to call people's attention again to the vaccine brigade here in Chicago. Uh, we did have people on from the vaccine brigade and I know Katie, you've been working with them some. Uh, they are to continue to do great work. Uh, there are ways to help. And if your organization needs help, uh, they will come and help you on getting people, talking to people door to door through canvassing, linking people to vaccination sites, arranging home vaccinations. Uh, so they provide education uh, about the vaccine for the groups and individuals and individual conversations about vaccine hesitancy. Uh, Anything yeah. else you'd like to share about that? Well, it's, it's just a great group. And it it's, was started by a retired nurse, as you all know, because we had her on the show when she began this. That's Peg hey, Dublin. Dublin. Um, and uh, everything, that's, everything that's being done right now is, is much more difficult. We're not doing large uh, vaccine events uh, because they don't pay off. We have to go door to door. We have to go into very specific targeted communities with low vaccine rates. Um, and, it's, and it's only, it's kind of urgent, okay? As we're speaking to you, it's the last of July and we have uh, less than 65% uh, of Illinois vaccinated. I mean, we have 65% oh, about of Illinois vaccinated, not both shots. Um, on, so, on vaccines, uh, we are a little bit concerned that Lollapalooza, which is a you know a wonderful Chicago event, it started yesterday, and we wonder if they really have enough uh, medications or uh, not medications, but things in place 
Mediation. Uh, deal with this. Mediations is the word you use. Will yes. it become a super spreader uh, event? And if so, who will be blamed? Uh, the governor is there. Uh, a lot of notables. They're really encouraging people to go. They're showing every, their good side. We will see. I'm a little concerned. I've got a son who's down there working it. And uh, he's a little concerned. So we'll keep you posted. And hopefully things go better than uh, some people think they might. Tell them keep stay masked up. Okay, the federal expansion voting expansion bill known as For the People Act needs everyone's support. Make a call to your senators every single day until they vote for it. Um, it's also, if, if we need to, eliminate the filibuster if necessary to do so. Um, for help getting activated, check out the indivisibles. They're everywhere, but here in uh, CD9, they meet weekly, both uh, in person and on Zoom. You can hook up. Well, Speak, speaking of voting, one of the, the heroes for both Katie and myself, I know, is Bob Moses, who was the guy who went to Mississippi in the summer of 64 and was the principal figure in the Mississippi Freedom Summer, where students from both black and white from the north went south and worked with uh, local residents trying to get people to register to vote. The opposition was unbelievable. Um, he, he was got battered. He got beat up time and time again, not by the police, but by fellow Mississippians, white, white people, of course. Yeah, white people. Yeah. There are some, I pulled out my old book, The Movement, one of my favorite books in the world. And there are a few pictures in here of Bob Moses at work uh, that I think were taken by Danny Lyon. Uh, Bob Moses uh, went on to found the Algebra Project. Um, there is a, a short video around that shows him uh, working back in Mississippi, trying to bring uh, math to the people as a, a way to move forward as a people. Uh, yeah. You had a lot of thoughts about him too. I never met him, but I, uh, I certainly looked up to him. We did meet his daughter. She visited the Heartland Cafe. Uh, and we are just so sorry that Bob passed away. Well, we're, he passed away in good time. He was an 80-something-year-old guy, 86, I think, year old guy. Um, so he had a full life, and he had such a dedicated life. He's, he's to be revered, really, for the kind of work he did and the kind of lack of ego, most notably, that he allowed, uh, that he expressed in his leadership. Blessings and peace to a beautiful man and a beautiful life. We got to go because our first guest is waiting for us. So thanks for listening to us on Live from the Heartland. We are going to come right back with our first guest, Bill Knight, after hearing from his request, Marvin Gaye. Mother, mother, there's too many of you crying. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some loving here today. Father, father, we don't need to escalate. Oh, 
ticket sack Punish me with brutality Talk to me, honey, so you can see Oh, what's going on? What's going on? Hey, what's going on? Tell me what's going on Woo! Come on here Woo! great pleasure to introduce my friend Bill Knight from down there in the hamlet of Elmwood, Illinois. Uh, I've known Bill for many years. He uh, used to publish uh, both Sunrise Magazine and the Prairie Sun out of Macomb, where he was a journalism professor for a long time. He was kind enough to uh, publish some of my articles back in my early writing days. And uh, I've been thinking for a long time that you would be a wonderful person to have on the show to share a perspective on progressive politics uh, and other things going on in central Illinois. I did happen to run into you a few weeks back. We had a nice lunch in Peoria and we uh, consolidated the invitation. So good morning to you, brother. You too. How well, is it down there in uh, Elmwood this morning? Rainy, thank goodness. Uh, it's great. Uh, what's the most important thing on your mind at this moment that you would like to share with people? You do a weekly column. Uh, you could tell us about that. You cover a lot of things. But at this moment, uh, on this date, what's the most uh, pertinent thing you want to tell people about? Well, uh, I remember years ago in the 70s and 80s, uh, downstate had this real defensive attitude. And there was kind of a half humorous uh, protest naming the area Forgotonia because it was forgotten by the state legislature in uh, Chicago. And I think some of that still extends to the area, but I just wanted to get across maybe, and you and I talked about this and how there are progressive elements downstate as well as Chicago. And, uh, you know, in the Illinois side of the Mississippi across from St. Louis, 
sure, there's a lot of uh, counties that are that back Trump in 2020, but you look at the map and it's misleading. They always show all the counties or states and they portray them as red and going for Trump. But people vote. Acres don't vote. And the population is what counts, not the uh, geographic area. And there's a lot of progressive things happening in Peoria, Galesburg, and um, Bloomington Normal. So I just, I guess I want to encourage people to reach out beyond Chicago or St. Louis metro area and realize that there's progress being made. I, I like I like hearing that, Bill, because I, I absolutely study uh, vote election returns maps. And since this whole uh, turning us red and blue thing began about 15 or so years ago, um, it's it is tiresome and annoying, I'm sure, for areas like yours to be judged and also mine. I mean, we're in a blue bubble here. Um, it's like we can't move out of uh, uh, out of our zone. Um, you've got, uh, which congressional district are you in? Are you in Bustos? Uh, right now we're in uh, La Hood. 18th. La Hood. Yeah. Um, but it's no. been back and forth when they redistrict. We, we were in the 17th briefly when Lane Evans was the congressman from that God area. God bless Lane Evans. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. We miss him. And, and, and you're in uh, Peoria County. Yes. Right, right next to Knox County, the right. favorite, the famous, uh, uh, one, I, of the, one of the things that's going on down there is Bustos, who has one of uh, seven congressional people to Democrats to win Congress in areas that went for Trump, she's not going to run again. And uh, I know it's a little early, but we're real, really anticipating to know who is going to run and what the politics are and what you think might happen. So you might want to share a little bit of information both on LaHood, who doesn't seem to be as good as his dad was, and Bustos. Well, uh, as you imply, the uh, redistricting is kind of in flux right now. I think there's a court challenge for that. So it will depend on redistricting. Uh, the only name that had been floated was Rockford Mayor Tom McNamara. And last week he decided he will not run. So right now, no one has thrown their hat in the ring. Uh, the district, 17th district that Bustos uh, was elected to in 2012 extends from Rockford to the Quad Cities and down to parts of Peoria. So it's really a gerrymandered district. And the district has changed over the years. Uh, when Evans was there and then he was uh, succeeded by his uh, chief of staff, uh, Phil Hare, there were a lot more uh, union members. There were a lot more manufacturing jobs. Not to defend Bustos, but maybe she played to that changing district and she became very much a centrist. Um, yeah. In fact, for a while, she was a blue dog Democrat associating yeah. with the conservatives. And in recent years, she's, uh, she's run afoul of labor and uh, some progressives, particularly when she was chair of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, when she blackballed consultants who were going to work with the uh, progressive candidates. And she, before she decided not to run, she stepped away from that role, which was good. But she's unfortunately, in my opinion, has uh, played to the, uh, I don't know what to call it, Reagan Democrats, but the ones that she perceives as conservatives. 
instead of building up progressive uh, support. So uh, right now with McNamara dropping out, it's kind of a wild, wide open race until they uh, redefine that district. It is such the picture of, of what, what needs to be um, translated in America this next election. Um, exactly what you just said, whether or not someone's playing to one side or the other, as opposed to just putting together some kind of comprehensive series of issues that, you know, that you can be clear about and not tied to any national figure, but something that's more connected to say, what's going on in our state, environmentally right. and otherwise. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, not again, not to defend her because I was very critical of her several times, uh, but she defines that district unfairly, I think. And uh, even though the Quad Cities, Galesburg has lost a lot of manufacturing uh, jobs and union members, the people most, for the most part, are still there. And I think they would respond to somebody, uh, male or female, person of color or not, who addresses grassroots issues and doesn't fall into the camp of Joe Manchin type Democrats or, you know, so-called moderate Republicans, if there are any. Yeah. Uh, Bill, uh, you mentioned Galesburg, and uh, we know that's the home of Knox College and Carl Sandburg. Uh, there was an article on July 5th, uh, Associated Press by Thomas Beaumont, where he talked to Bradley about the red and blue divide in a town like Galesburg. And uh, the, the, the point uh, that he centered it around was uh, an attempt to get a resolution, resolution through the city council, I believe, on institutional racism, and it really flared up. But uh, the mayor who was opposed to it is no longer the mayor, and a guy who was for the resolution is now the mayor. Uh, you also had told me a story about your hometown of Elmwood that had uh, a Black Lives Matter demonstration of two to 300 people in a town of 2,000. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, the kind of reaction to Black Lives Matter and the general progressive potential, both in Galesburg and in Elmwood. Well, uh, Galesburg is an interesting story. Uh, the mayor you mentioned, uh, Peter Schwartzman, is a Knox College environmental studies professor. He's got a, a really good book called Earth is Not for Sale. And uh, he's a good example of somebody who put a coalition together went door knocking and got support and, uh, and uh, was elected mayor. Uh, so he's a coalition builder. Uh, and there's a history in Knox College, you mentioned Carl Stanberg, but Knox and um, Fulton County and parts of Peoria County were part of the Underground Railroad. A lot of abolitionist movements. Uh, Frederick Douglass in his autobiography talks about speaking in Elmwood and then taking a train in the middle of winter to Peoria and he couldn't find a place to stay and he ended up staying with Robert Ingersoll, the uh, atheist orator. So there's a, there's a heritage of abolitionists and uh, uh, that, that sentiment that I think still continues. Uh, as far as Black Lives Matter, I think uh, the key is to put a human face on it. That issue that the NAACP pressed for in Galesburg uh, on systemic racism should not be that controversial, but people are uh, running to their camps instead of thinking about it thoughtfully. Um, you mentioned 
the Black Lives Matter rally in uh, Elmwood, where we are, uh, it was a friend of mine who uh, actually was a teammate in front of my sons. They were in uh, school together in high school, Brandon Butler. And Elmwood's 2,100 people, and there's probably 20 or 30, Afri maybe 20 African-American residents. And during the summer of George Floyd's uh, killing and the protests, he initially started a weekly Facebook class called Brandon Butler's Black History. And it got a lot of good response. And then he was approached by other residents and, says, and said, we should do this rally just to you know, keep it going. And I think there were a couple of hundred people there and it was well-received, very peaceful. There was one heckler uh, and the county sheriff was there because he doesn't live far away from us. And he was walking around noticing it was peaceful except for this one loud mouth and diffused the situation. Just went up and said, you shouldn't be here because you're not comfortable. So why don't you step away and go away? And he did. Uh, it was well-received. Butler, the African-American guy who's in his mid-30s, uh, soon after ran for mayor in our small town and came in third, I think. But he got a lot of support. And between him and the guy who won, they're both progressive. Together, they get 60% of the vote. So that speaks a lot on how they can... Uh, encourage people to respond to progressive ideas. Now, Butler is thinking of running for school board. So again, it goes for global uh, ideas, but act locally. So uh, um, can I just ask, I, I know it's off the, go off for the other side, but um, vaccinations, how are they doing in your neck of the woods? I, I have figures here that I looked up just today. Um, for us in Cook County, we've got... Um, 61% of age 18 and over fully vaccinated, 72% of over 65. In Peora, you've got 57% of over 18 and 81% of over 65, which is pretty darn good, um, better than us. Uh, Knox is also doing pretty good. How are people feeling uh, in general since we've got scariness about yet well, another surge? It's... Uh... You know, correlation is not cause, but if you look at Illinois counties, counties that went, their population went for Trump are far lower in their vaccination rates than the rest of the state. Uh, Knox County has 44%. I mean, it's overall from the youngest to the oldest. Uh, yeah. Peoria and Tazewell County, which are uh, next to each other, Tazewell's home to Pekin, also have 44%. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you get into Southern Illinois, I think it's Alexander County where Cairo is, is I think 15%. Uh, and you get down by St. Louis and Missouri is a terrible uh, state for both vaccination and caseload. Um, vaccination rates are low and they went for Trump except for Metro St. Louis. So I think uh, other counties in the area, uh, Knox County because of the rural vote, did go for Trump, but again, their vaccination rates are pretty decent, 44%. Uh, Fayette County, which is southeastern Illinois, 23% vaccination rates, and they went 80% for Trump. So there's definitely yeah. a correlation of those people that are open to the misinformation that comes from, you know, QAnon and, and the Republican Party, which is weird because 
if you look at the demographics, uh, I think Pew Research earlier this month came out with something that the only solid age demographic that votes Republican is 75 years and older. So right off the bat, in four years, many of those people are going to pass away. Yeah. Why would Republicans encourage their own base not to get protection from the thing that could jeopardize their lives? We've been asking this. We've been asking this. It's mystifying. It so, is. Michael, I, hate, you got I, I hate to think the worst, but I'm thinking, fine, go for it. You know. Bill, you uh, you do a weekly column. Uh, you cover labor, environment, even sports. You uh, are a Cub supporter, and uh, there were some Cub people who were, uh, I guess, being critical of Mark Grace not being uh, put into the Hall of Fame. And you wrote about uh, Jim Tomey, who Jim Tomey, I think that's how you say it, yeah, uh, who was at both a Cleveland Indian and a White Sox. And uh, he's from Peoria. Why don't right. you tell us a bit about your thoughts on uh, the Hall of Fame and those two guys, and maybe a little bit on the other things that you write about in your columns. Well, Grace, uh, the thing that really got to me is that he led the major leagues in hits in the 90s. And only he and Pete Rose, who's got a whole set of baggage, are the only ones that led their uh, led in hits in their decade, not in the Hall of Fame. Grace, of course, has his own baggage, but it's relatively minor. It's not like gambling against uh, the national pastime. He had some DUIs, and he's made some on-the-air stupid comments. But it just mystifies me that he's excluded from the Hall of Fame. And... I wrote about that and I got some feedback from readers who said, you know, DUIs are serious. You know, at least Tommy's in the Hall of Fame. Great. Tommy is a terrific, terrific person. And he had great stats. So my two columns, one about Grace and the follow-up about Tommy is this isn't either or, in my view. This is both and. I'm a Chicago fan. I'm a baseball fan. I think the White Sox are doing great, despite Tony LaRussa. And uh I think Tommy, he's a stellar character. He's a philanthropist. He's a hard-nosed athlete. Uh, and speaking of the White Sox, I thought it was terrific. He hit his 500th home run on at then called Cellular Field when it was Jim uh, Tommy Bobblehead Day. I mean, <laughs> he's been he's been graced, so to speak, with uh, a lot of talent, and he's really worked hard. So it's not an either-or thing. I think Grace is excluded for the baseball writer's bad attitude toward him. And Tommy, he was always loved by them. He was, he was associated both in awards and in articles with Roberto Clemente. And I think it's a well-deserved praise for Tommy. Bill, Bill Knight, we, we are going, running out of time here, but how can people find you and your writing? Maybe your weekly column. Can you give us a, an, a, an address for that? Yeah, I have a... I keep a, it's really a blog, but it's where I archive all my columns. It's called uh, Mayfly Productions, one word, blog spot. Mayfly Productions? Yeah. Okay. And it's, uh, it's online. I uh, archive them a couple days after it runs in print. And uh, most of the, uh, I, I write two a week and they're mostly downstate uh, daily papers. Well, so you actually, uh, your, your column goes in some newspapers too? Yeah, I don't just write it and hope that <laughs> Send it out to guys it. like me. You, write, you actually write it for the masses right. and then 
in yeah. the in the periodical. Yeah, it runs in Galesburg, Kiwani, Canton, small daily papers. Nice. Tonight we have to we have to call on our guest who's in the waiting room here. This Zoom's thing requires us. But thank right. you so much sure. for joining us today. Michael, thank you for getting him. Well, we'd like to have you back regularly because what goes on in central Illinois affects all of us in Illinois. And you've got a lot to share and say. So we'll be in touch and then not too far off. Sounds good. All right, brother. Thank you, you again. Thanks for listening to Live from the Heartland on WLUW 88.7. Uh, stay tuned for our next guest, Fred Klonsky, one of our faves. And uh, before we bring in Fred, we're going to hear a little bit of Mavis Staples. We shall not be moved.
Welcome back. Fred Klonsky, retired CPS teacher of art and union organizer, also longtime political activist, writer, and radio celebrity. Welcome back. <laughs> it's good to be. I was thinking back about uh, the first time you guys had me when we, you were still at the, uh, at the Heartland, and I was uh, uh, following a local uh, politician that you had had on the show who had voted for a pension uh, to cut our pensions. Uh, I won't mention the name; it's not it's not necessary. But uh, but but you were kind enough to have me come come on and uh, defend public school uh, teacher pensions, and here we are again. It's uh, uh, six years later. Yeah. Well, you've been doing great. Uh, you know, uh, we do miss your radio show. We liked listening to the Klonsky Brothers show. Uh, and I don't know if you guys will ever return. Tell us. And what have you been doing? During the uh, pandemic, we we tried doing what you're doing, which is uh, you, which you do really well, uh, doing it from home. But we kind of missed the dynamic of having a guest in the studio, and uh, it, I mean, you guys know it's it's very different. Uh, the kind of give and take, and the, the the it's just more interesting to have somebody sitting across the table from you. And so we tried doing it Zoom for for a couple of shows, and and. Uh, and just decided that we didn't we didn't like it, and uh, and uh, so we we thought we'd give it, not realizing that it would be a year later and we'd still be giving it a rest. Uh, uh, I'm not sure what they're doing down at um, at, uh, uh, at London Radio, Radio in terms of people being in the studio. Uh, I'm not sure they're quite ready for it yet, although I think they're planning on it. Although their space is much more amenable, they've got open windows and. A lot of airspace. Uh, actually, not the studio. The studio space is pretty small and uh, and pretty closed. Uh, it, it, it has a window to the street, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't open. It doesn't open. No. Uh. no. So anyway, so uh, so Michael is uh, Michael's watching the Dodgers, and I'm uh, I'm painting pictures, and who knows what'll happen. So um, uh, I need to I need to bring this up because what what Michael asked you about how you held it together during the pandemic, I, I know one of the answers, and that was uh, this incredible art class that you and I both signed up for. I, I was going to I was going to mention that. No, uh, I wanted you to mention that. I, I, and I missed you because you kind of disappeared. You were doing so great, and I really enjoyed uh, watching, looking at your drawings. You know, uh, people I should, a radio show explain <laughs> that we were on an online, uh, and I still am, on an online uh, 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 art group that meets with people from all, all over the world. I mean, it's quite amazing. There's students from Peru and from, uh, and, uh, and we post it on Facebook uh, privately. It's a closed group on, on Facebook. But it means that for me, especially as a 30 year art teacher, uh, uh, I, there's some discipline to the work. I, get, I have to do, I'm like a student again. I have to get those assignments done and posted by the Aren't end of the week. Aren't you impressed with what she managed on Zoom? Say again? Aren't you impressed with what the teacher, what I was, Leslie always, managed? I'm always, uh, always amazed. You know, uh, uh, I was, uh, I don't know if you guys mentioned earlier in the show about the passing of uh, Bob Moses. We but, did, uh, but go uh, right ahead. But uh, uh, as a teacher, uh, he was, uh, I think, an, ins you know, an inspiration to me. And, uh, and uh, I think one of his, uh, one of his mottos, his mantras was that uh, everybody's talented. And, uh, uh, that's that. I thought that's what I, I was always reminded of. That looking at the artwork online is that 
you had this range of people, some of whom were considered themselves artists and many who were just doing it for the first time and everybody was talented. It was really interesting. Yeah, I found it, I found it really wonderful. The only reason I stopped was I, I just, uh, the timing, I started working back at work at Gethsemane and I, yeah. I just couldn't fit it all in. But um, I was happy to be in a class with you because I loved seeing your artwork. Um, Thank you. I enjoyed teachers, doing it. Teachers, you, your longtime political activity was in the union. Were you, a, you were a steward, were you not? No, I was actually uh, um, not. Uh, not I was going to correct you. I wasn't in CPS. I was a teacher in uh, Park Ridge. Uh, uh, it's an elementary school district up in Park, uh, Park Ridge. And I was, in fact, the union president for uh, not a big position. It's kind of like if you weren't in the if you left the room, you get you get chosen as uh, president <laughs> of the local. And that was kind of how it was. But I did that for uh, for uh, uh, four terms for 10 years. And um, and it was right at the time when I was on your show and we were when we were uh, talking about uh, uh, pension. pension reform. And uh, what's interesting, what I wanted to kind of steal your time and if I could, if I could uh, to talk about another pension issue, you know, I, I have here, this is an, art, an artifact. It's the social security card that I got when I was 12 years old. I don't want to show my number on there, but you can see my signature <laughs> down at the, at the bottom. So I, was, I got my first social security card when I was 12. And, uh, and all those years that I worked, I worked, uh, paid in the, in the social security until I was 38 when I, when I was a career changer and got a job and went back to school, got my teaching certification and began to teach. And when I joined, when I finally got a job as a teacher up in Park Ridge, I was no longer paying into Social Security, but I was paying into the teacher retirement system of the state of Illinois. And so my, my pension, my uh, Social Security payment stopped. My employer didn't no longer paid. I had paid 6% into Social Security. My employer would pay 6%. That's 12%. And... Um, I wasn't a math teacher, but, uh, but I, I knew that. I knew six and six was 12. Uh, and, uh, and I became a member of the teacher retirement system. Mm -hmm. And when I retired at 64, uh, I started to receive my, my pension. What I would have received from Social Security was $800 a month because they stopped calculating when you no longer pay in. So my monthly benefit from... Social Security would have been $800 a month. It's not a huge amount of money, but it makes a difference whether on a bill or two, or if my car breaks down or something like that, having that money in the bank was good. But there's a law, there's, it's called the WEP, it's the Windfall Elimination Provision. It's a federal law that applies to 15 states that have teachers who are in pension systems and government employees that are in pension systems. And they reduce my social security benefit by two thirds, meaning that what I had out of that $800, there was barely enough to cover uh, my Medicare uh, bill, which as you guys know, is not free. You have to, it, they deduct that from your social security. So yeah. they deducted my Medicare payment from that $800. I mean, from the, from the and actually not the $800, the third, it was about $300. Uh, 
meaning I got no I got no social security. And there's another part of the federal law that's called the uh, government pension offset. And that means that as a teacher, and if in the unlikely, in the unlikely situation that Anne should, as they say, predecease me, my wife Anne, uh, so she should die before me, which is very unlikely, uh, 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 I get no uh, death benefit. That teachers in the state of Illinois, uh, if their spouse uh, dies before them, unlike everybody else in Social Security, teachers don't get a, don't get the death don't get their spouse's uh, death benefit. Uh, and this, so it's it's really discriminatory, particularly when you know that over seventy percent of retired teachers in the state of Illinois are women, whose who you know whose husbands likely paid in the in the in the Social Security. And will receive no benefit, no no uh, death benefit, uh, benefit uh, as a result of their uh, spouses dying. So, th so this is not really well known. Uh, it's a bit a bill appears in Congress every year. It's been going. A bill's been in Congress for like uh, you know thirty years. Uh, everybody co-sponsors it <laughs> so they can go back to their districts and say, oh, we co-sponsored the bill to end the WEP GPO. That's the shorthand for it. But then it never comes to a vote and they never pass. So it never passes. Uh, it's, it's just a sham uh, co-sponsorship really. And it's, it's, it's another one of those things that reminds teachers that, uh, that the government doesn't think they're worth crap. <laughs> so so, uh, well, so I've been writing about this lately, even though it's been around for, uh, I've written about it before, obviously, yeah. but, uh, but I've been bringing it up again and wanted to kind of let you guys and your, and your listeners well, know about I'm it. I'm sure that now that you've brought it up, the masses are going to protest <laughs> and make a big deal about it. Uh, but we know that you also are an active political dude and you follow politics and the T Chicago Teachers Union did march last week, um, and they were talking about basically getting uh, the money that's come from the government to go to teachers and students. What is your take on what's going on with the union uh, here in the city? Well, the school, I'm, I'm, you I'm, share? Both, I'm both supportive and and you know part part of my job in the as a union president for all those years and as a a, a, de a delegate to the conventions for 20 years and uh, I'm both supportive and critical you know what I mean it's a, a sure. uh, I of course I support the Chicago Teachers Union as representatives of the of the teachers especially in the in these times when I, I can't imagine having been a teacher uh, this last this seriously, last uh, seriously. so I so I, I I'm very supportive of the of the IFT in the state and the AFT nationally and uh, NEA and uh, IA, but of course I also have uh, have my criticisms of it. Uh, and uh, I, I, uh, one of my criticisms, I think, of the of the of the CTU here is is that um, one is I think they've been somewhat uh, myopic on the question of the of the mayor and uh, uh, and the role that she's played in this last these last two years of a because it's also been a difficult time to be a mayor of a, especially a, a black uh, lesbian mayor of a, of a major city. In fact, if you look around the country, there's a number of black women mayors who are talking about not, there was rumor this week that the mayor wasn't gonna run, you know, that she dropped a rumor that she may 
she was not so sure about running again. And this is a problem, uh, this is going on in Atlanta and in Washington, D.C., where there are black women mayors who are also talking about not, uh, I think running the city, any city right now is, is crazy. And I think that the CTU in this matter has been one-sidedly critical uh, of, uh, of, of Mayor Lightfoot. Uh, how the money, how the, the money coming in into the cities from, from the result of, uh, of, federal, of federal support, uh, it, it should be negotiated. It should be a, something that, that all, the, all, the, all the parties uh, that have a stake in this should, should be sitting down at the table uh, with the mayor and with others and trying to uh, figure it out. But the needs are many and, uh, and uh, 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 it's never, I just saw in the New York Times, if you go to the Times today in the, in the upshot section of the Times, there's uh, two graphs of what, of what the original, of what the original bill, uh, infrastructure bill was supposed to look like and what is actually now being on the table to be passed. And it's like this big circle has now been shrunk down to this little, it's like a, uh, $500 billion as compared to $3 trillion. So we don't even know yet how much money is coming into, this, into the city. And uh, uh, everything doesn't have to be a, a fight. Everything doesn't have to be... I love hearing that from you, Fred. I love hearing no, that no, from you. I'm, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> afraid of a fight. But, but, but I think there's a, there's a, a, a confluence of interest here between the... Uh, the the city's unions, all except the FOP, uh, with the city's unions and the mayor and the city council. Uh, uh, this, is a, this is a difficult time to be it running is. to be running a city. Oh, it's incredible. Who would want I don't. I think the mayor's nuts for <laughs> for doing I mean, for being for wanting to be mayor in the first place. But uh, but but I, I but as I think uh, these groups have their own interests. The, Teachers have their own interests, and uh, yeah. the, the obviously the neighborhoods and communities have their interests, and they're they're not all the same. But I think resolving them uh, is in the interest of all, uh, resolving them, but not turning everything into. You know, I used to there used to be uh, I used to have a, a friend uh, and still a friend uh, uh, who uh, who wanted who was mad at me because whenever we had a difference with the board of education or with the with the superintendent. I didn't go in there yelling and screaming, and I go. Look, and I had to explain. If you do that, if you if you go into the, in the, into the superintendent's office yelling and screaming over everything, then the real things, the real important things, get lost. It's the old cry wolf. I want to ask uh, you about the neighborhood. Yes, yeah, tell us about your neighborhood. How's Logan yeah. Square holding up against forces of gentrification? That's here in, in Logan Square. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know, we took. Uh, I was at, uh, very active actually in the fight to build a um, um, hundred-unit uh, affordable housing apartment building on an empty parking lot a block from the Blue Line Station in Logan Square. Yep. It took ten years to get. It's going to open up in a, in a few months. They had seven hundred people apply for. Uh, for 50 of those units. Uh, that's how bad the need is. And meanwhile, they're tearing down three flat graystones all over the neighborhood that are affordable apartment units and building these million, million and a half dollar ugly boxes uh, uh, and are selling them. And uh, uh, 
the need for affordable housing is so great. Uh, it, I don't even think it's something the city can afford to do. I think this is something that the federal government uh, needs to do. But it's thousands and thousands. It, it took us 10 years to get 100 uh, because that's what the city can, that's what the city can do. Uh, but we need, and now I see they're selling, the city is selling empty lots uh, to organizations to build affordable units uh, on the west and the south side. City lots that the city's taken over because of uh, the taxes weren't paid or, or, or whatever. But the need is so great, yeah. and uh, and the and and the alternative is to have neighborhoods that used to be when I when I moved here in '75 in Logan, to Logan Square. This was a this was a working class Puerto Rican community uh, that was that uh, uh, one that was wonderful to live in and had a lively uh, culture uh, as part of it. And now uh, it's like changed. It's changed around me, and uh, that culture is got is certainly a different one. And uh, and uh, I couldn't afford to live here if uh, if I was looking for a house uh, now. No, it was the neighborhood where we actually were started rising up angry back in the day. And if you go by Armitage and Kedzie, it's a mix of still run down and some really gentrified and uh, probably pricey restaurants. It's, it's oh, yeah. changed a lot. Yeah, I think yeah. we're going to run out of time with you, Fred. Yeah. Uh, oh. yeah. Tell, us, tell us how people can find your blog because it's, it's fredcosby.com. And uh, yeah. That come, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much up there every day. So come on over. Read it. You are a busy guy. Thank you so much. And, and thanks again about, about the, giving me a couple of minutes to talk about the, the, the web and the GPO and people, if people could uh, send, you know, send off an email to their, to their federal uh, representative or congressman, uh, that would be a help. Beautiful. Hey, brother. Thank you All so right. much, Fred. Good talking to you. Good to see you. Keep drawing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I will. Take care. All righty. And Katie, today I would like to get you to do the sports report. Okay. Look, this is, uh, this is week one of the Olympics we're finishing. Um, it's a strange Olympics for all the reasons we've talked about before. But I do think that the men of the, in, the um, International Olympic Committee, the same guys we demonstrated against in order to have included a women's marathon back in the 80s, I think those guys, those male members anyway, should wear day glow jock straps throughout the games in public. Right? I mean, because, well, they have so much to say about how much skin the female athletes should um, expose. And I just want to say, Pink, you rock my sister. 
for offering to pay the personal fines levied against the Norwegian women's team for uh, refusing to wear the bikini bottoms. Um, now, when can we liberate the beach volleyballers? Anyway, the other thing, I just couldn't believe this conservative commentator who shouldn't even have his name repeated because he's such a slime ball called Simone Biles, a selfish psychopath for removing herself from competition. So now we have the phenomenon of Trumpers thinking they can even take on these beautiful human beings who have worked their lives and their bodies to be Olympians because, because why? Charlie Kirk, get on the fastest train out of here is a misogynist racist response. And I get sick of the medal count and the chant USA, USA. Um, the Washington Post columnist Philip Bump wrote, uh, too many on the right perceived toughness outweighs patriotism. It's a great article. Anyway, that's my sports report, Michael. <laughs> that was good. And we probably will have our friend Gordon Thompson back on next week or the week after uh, to give us an update on important things to take away from the Olympics. Um, You've been listening to the Live from the Heartland show. We're brought to you every Saturday morning on WLUW 88.7, both aired and streamed. You can find us anytime at youtube.com slash heartlandmedia. I would say hit video, and then they're listed in order. And you can now get us on not only Can TV, but we are podcasts. Go to Spotify Podcasts, type in Live from the Heartland, and our uh, cohort Gwen Brown has put all kind of uh, interviews up there. They're great to listen to. Um, so we ask you to do good in the world. Do good in the world because the world needs all the good that we do. All power, all power, to, power the to the people. Hey